Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Ride. It is Nicole. And this is Michaela. Um, and this week we are talking with Brianna Noble, who you guys may have heard of her, you may have not, depends on how active you are on social media. We came across her when we saw an image of her riding a horse through a Black Lives Matter protest in Oakland, California, actually. And the thing that really caught my eye and Michaela's as well is that she is an amazing rider. She has such a really pretty seat. Her horse is really quiet, really broke. And, um, you know, we, we make note that like she was very aware of how her horse acts in crowds and she was, she, she actually went to the protest before it actually started so that her horse wasn't involved in anything before it got maybe, you know, overcrowded or just, you know, a hazard for horse riding. But um, she's so much more than that photo, but I'm so, so excited that we came across it in our social media feeds because she's a really cool person doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, she really is. I keep telling Nicole that it's amazing how in a still photo, you know, the two of us were able to see how great of a writer she is and just listening to her talk and listening to all of the cool things that she's doing and beforehand before we even pressed record to start the interview she just had so many cool things to say that really resonated well with nicole and myself and i know that it would resonate well with a lot of our listeners and you know you guys would agree with a lot of what she has to say because she's just a true horsewoman and i'm glad that we were able to find her and talk to her because it's people like her that we want to have on this podcast some people who are doing cool things and who are talented riders as well yeah i think it's um, you know, it's really important, especially right now in this time that we're in that we focus on diversity. And I think that's what Brianna's doing. And, and she's doing a lot for at risk youth and, and underprivileged youth and, and children who don't necessarily have access to horses or, you know, riding and, and being in a barn. And, um, we're, you know, we're noticing that it really helps them build their character and become, really great people and so that's really the big message that she wants to get across is is that's what program she's working on and and trying to build up and and she just wants people to know that you know there are a lot of people out there who want to work hard and want to get involved in the horses they just don't have the money or the ability to to get there on their own yeah and she explains how important horses can be in developing our youth and Towards the end of the podcast, she shares a really, really cool story about a youth kid that she was working with and his story about how he really broke out of his shell. And she said there are so many stories like that, but be sure to listen to the end of the podcast and listen to that amazing story. Yeah, that whole thing, that that story that Michaela was talking about in particular, it gave me chills. And like I was on the verge of tears and I'm not a crier. I don't get emotional on a lot of stuff. And um, that really hit me because it's you know, we forget that there are ways to, you know, communicate with horses that we can't do as, you know, human to human interaction or, or whatever. And, uh, horses just allow us to break down that wall and just, you know, show our true selves. And yeah, that was an amazing story. And, uh, we were just, yeah, we were so happy that Brianna came on the podcast. Our, our dear friend Warwick Schiller actually shared, um, that photo that we had originally seen and he has also been in talks with her and, we are just, we're so impressed with, she's so young and she's doing so much and, you know, she just wanted to get her feelings out there and her way of showing that was on a horse. And I love that. For sure. So as much as we could continue to talk about Brianna, because Nicole and I are huge fans of her, we should probably dive into our current events section. So, um, coronavirus continues to adjust our 2020 show schedule. 
the run for a million, which we had talked about in a previous podcast was still on track to go forward. We had seen press releases saying that they were getting ready to start selling tickets and that it was going to be happening. Well, they've just come out and announced that it is officially canceled for this year. So, um, they, you know, a big part of the run for a million is the last cowboy TV show that goes along with it. And because of all of the quarantines and the travel restrictions, they could not film. Um, they couldn't get their film, their, their video teams out to do the, the reality show that goes with the run for a million. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are upset that the run for a million is canceled, but I think it's so important to note that the TV show plays a huge part in the event because the whole purpose is to bring eyes to a Western sport that many people don't think of. A lot of people, when they think of a Western riding sport, they think of rodeo. And there is so much more to Western riding than just rodeo. So the TV show brings new eyes to the reigning sport and, you know, now the cow horse. So I think being able to have that TV show tying in with it is super critical. And, you know, I give them props for, you know, thinking of it that way more so than, you know, it's just the pandemic that caused them to cancel. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know the, the whole ins and outs, but I do know that Paramount Network does help fund uh, the run for a million because their TV show that the, the last cowboy is on their TV network. Taylor Sheridan does it. Um, and he also directs and wrote uh, Yellowstone, which um, is starting back up. I think um, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be in like its second or third week of the TV show. And we're really excited about that because I'm a huge Kevin Costner fan, but, um, who, who isn't, um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Paramount's I think helps funds it. And it's obviously like, it's based around that TV show, like Michaela said, where it's to teach people that there's so much more to, to the NFR, which is the only thing that you really see on TV anymore outside of like the hunter jumper stuff that you might see at the Olympics or, or that. But, um, yeah, like the reining and the cow horse have such true cowboy tradition to them. And I just think that a lot of people don't realize it. And um, Michaela had mentioned the cow horse. They were going to do an invitational, which was brand new. And I know I was super excited about that because I'm my journey is, is going into the cow horse stuff. And so I was really happy to see two sports that I really love in one show. But hopefully they'll do it again next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that they will do it next year, and I really look forward to it. And I hope that, you know, you're able to attend as, you know, somebody who's just watching and you're not working because I know how much you love those and you've been wanting to go and see it. So that would be totally awesome. So speaking of horse shows and events changing and, you know, doing different things, the World Championship Appaloosa Show and the World Championship Appaloosa Youth Show are now being held together, which is pretty cool. You know that they're actually going forward with those events and not canceling and they're able to combine them to still have that breed show. Yeah, it's going to take place October 29th through November 8th um, at the Will Rogers Equestrian Center in Fort Worth. Obviously, we are in the end of June. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be July, I believe. So um, things can still change. You know, we're seeing shows getting canceled or rescheduled or or moved um, because of coronavirus. We're not out of the weeds with coronavirus. So, uh, you know, things might change. But as of right now, the Appaloosa Association is planning on merging those two shows and having the world show together, which... Um, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it does. I, I hope that it, you know, it brings some really good numbers because it is really, 
it's really sad to see all these shows canceled and all these big shows. And I know a lot of these like youth kids have worked really hard to, to get ready. And some of them are in their last year and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's one of the hardest things, you know, I'm still younger, so I can kind of still feel for those youth kids, especially the ones in their last year that this is their event. This is what they look forward to. And so many of these events are being canceled, but I think, you know, the, the events and the shows are doing right by the youth kids and allow, most of them are allowing them to compete again and, you know, do different things. And each breed and each association has their own terms that they're working with for the youth kids. And I think that that's really great because the youth are what really is going to make the Western sports industry just keep growing. And we have to keep them in mind if we want to keep expanding and doing our best. Yeah, and actually, um, speaking of the Appaloosa Association, they also, the board agreed on a permanent basis to raise youth eligibility from 18 and under to 19 and under beginning in 2021. So all those kids who don't get the chance to maybe compete this year, um, they'll be able to do it next year because they're raising the eligibility, which I think is great because you're still a kid when you're 19. I know, like, I was still very much... Yes, you're 18 and you have rights that you didn't as a 17 and under, but you know, you're still a kid. And I think it's, I think it's great that they're allowing 19 year olds to, to stay in that division. Yeah, for sure. But now kind of moving on and shifting gears back to some cow horse talk, because Nicole and I clearly, we really love cow horses apparently. And also the time is just perfect because the Derby just happened for the NRCHA And we have some results for that, which is pretty cool. So, Nicole, I'll let you kind of read off some results and talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, kind of going back to um, horse shows having to adjust and pivot with coronavirus, they actually went to Scottsdale, Arizona for the horse show this year, which it normally is not in Scottsdale. Um, Normally, I believe it's in Paso Robles. So that was um, a change, and I think it was heavily involved with coronavirus. Um, but no, Justin Wright won the, won the open division and I got to watch his run. I got, I didn't get to see his, uh, rain work or anything, but I got to see his fence work and it was insane. Really? I, I haven't seen anything of it. I actually haven't tuned in to watch anything of it. I guess I've been living under a rock since I've been working from home and, you know, just kind of living in my own little world. So I haven't really watched anything of it, but I need to go back and watch some of these runs because I mean, especially Justin, because he had five horses in the finals. So that's really awesome. Yeah. He was super busy and it looked like there was quite a few people who had multiple horses in, in the, the finals. And, um, you can obviously you can go to, to the NRCHA's website to see all of their scores and all of the, you know, top, top 10 and whatnot but um no he justin showed scooter cat and his run was amazing i had actually just happened to tune in a ride before he was getting ready to go down the fence so i like literally came in and was able to watch that and i was like oh my like that run was insane and you're like oh my god like this is what they've been doing like holy moly and um he ended up winning with that score but it was it was a beautiful run and um, the NRHA Derby is going on right now. So there are horse shows happening. That one's taking place in Oklahoma city. Um, it's going on as we're recording this. And, um, so maybe we'll have results in a future podcast, but yeah, it sounds like a lot of the big shows are trying to work around the coronavirus issues. And, but I've, I've have friends at the Derby right now and the, the, the reigning Derby. And they were saying that, you know, stalls are kind of segregated and, people are kind of staying to themselves. And so I think it's, I think they're trying really hard to, to keep things safe and sanitary and, and still put on a really nice horse show. 
Yeah, I was kind of wondering. I haven't been to any big shows or anything like that lately, and I was just wondering how that was working. I've just only been to local barrel races, and, you know, those are different. So I was just wondering how they were making it happen with hundreds of horses at an event and keeping it within the requirements. And, you know, different states have different requirements, so I guess that that plays into a factor. But it's interesting to see how everything is moving forward and how everybody is handling it. And I really have to give props to the horse associations and everything for doing what they're doing and being able to still put on these events despite a pandemic happening. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, like you said, give props to the people that are putting on these shows because you know that they are working really, really hard to make sure that everybody stays safe and healthy and and doing what they can um, to make sure that, you know, nothing bad happens. But, um, you know, kind of going off into our normal, regular horse life, I I worked at Buffalo for the first time the other day, and that was crazy. Yeah, you kind of told me a little bit about that. And for our listeners that don't know, I actually, my parents raised them. So I have a bit of a backstory with them. So when Nicole tells me some of these stories, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy but so cool and, you know, I bet it was a lot of fun working one. Yeah, Michaela is not a fan of Buffalo because they've attacked her in the pasture. And um, I had no idea that Buffalo were, first of all, so fast. Second of all, they jump really high. And so you have to be really careful that they don't learn that they can jump out of their, um, you know, their fencing and and whatnot. But um, as I journey into the cow horse stuff, I'm learning that a lot of people use Buffalo. The ones that we have at the barn are yearlings, so they're still very small and you can kind of train them to play the game a little bit but apparently buffalo will will play the the game for about three years whereas like when you get a herd of cattle in you can get about three weeks out of them before they start figuring it out and kind of cheating you which is so interesting because you know i've grown up around the buffalo and they are so intelligent so i would have assumed that you know their time span would have been much shorter than cattle because you know they probably would have gotten bored with it and just over it so i think that that's really interesting that they actually last a lot longer but it just shows how cool of animals that they really are because despite me having a strong dislike even maybe a hate towards buffalo i still think that they are beautiful wonderful super intelligent animals that you know they're super super cool to see in general just you know let alone work them on a horse yeah, I think I love them because they're so primal. Like you, you just get that very like just primal instinct around them, and, and that's kind of how they are. But no, it, it is really interesting. Um, I as I'm learning more about all this, uh, you know, apparently it's the buffalo are really good for the seasoned horses too. Uh, younger horses they can't read the buffalo as well as they can read the cattle, so that's that's kind of um, you know something that you have to work around but it's really great for the seasoned horses which I'm really thankful I'm riding a seasoned horse who knows what he's doing and he's been a huge babysitter with helping me because it's I couldn't imagine having a green horse and I have a, a pretty extensive riding background but I couldn't imagine going on a green horse working cattle as a green cow horse rider because it's there's so much you have to think about and the way that you ride them are so different from the way you would you know an all-arounder or even a rainer um, and so, but yeah, it, it's, um, they use them a lot for some of their more finished horses and, but they are really fast. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, they actually, I, I'm trying to recall, I'm pretty sure they can run up to 35 miles an hour, if not faster. They are 
crazy fast animals, which is, you know, a cool thing and how it's so helpful in the cow horse event. It really probably helps, you know, teach your horses to keep up with them and quicken their feet up a little bit. Yeah. And you, you just, um, you know, that you have to, you, you can't put the pressure on them like you would a cow. So you kind of have to stay out of their bubble and, and kind of gauge where you are against them. So it's, yeah, it was super fascinating. I can't wait to do it again and, and just, you know, keep evolving in that. And I'm trying to write a blog. I, I keep getting sidetracked with other tasks, but I'm trying to write a blog on it. So maybe by the time this comes out, I'll have a blog to go with it. Yeah. And maybe another time you can get a video of it because I think personally, that would be really cool to watch on video. Even if it was just a short little snippet of it happening, I think that that would be really cool to just see and share with our audience. Anyway, um, that's a little bit of the current events that are going on right now and some of our horse life that's happening as well. But let's jump into this really cool interview because I think y'all are going to love it. and welcome back to the ride podcast today we are joined with special guest brianna noble who you might have seen from some social media posts circulating around some of today's events that are going on in our country and the world currently and nicole and myself first noticed her from a still photo where in that still photo we could tell just how great of a writer brianna was and then from there we learned more about her story and what she is doing and we just knew that we had to talk to her. So thank you so much, Brianna, for her joining us today. Hi, how are you guys doing today? We're great. We first found out about Brianna is through a Black Lives Matter protest that was going on in California. She rode her horse through the protest before it actually got started. I feel like it's really important to, to note that like you were extremely safe during all of this and your horse is, horse is extremely broke to it. Does the, you do the parades and all that stuff. And, but um, there's an image that go that's going around of you at the protest. And that really, that really attracted to me to who you are as a person. And as I got to know you even more um, through your social media I was just like this girl is so cool she does the jumping she takes these younger horses who didn't have the chance to, to be horses that they could be and just working with them I mean you're doing the parades you're doing the obstacle courses you're doing trail stuff and then you're also doing a lot for your community which is so huge in the equine industry yeah no um I do want to stress as well that safety was a a very big thing for me you know and why I chose to to go to the protest and how I did it, you know, I actually parked really, really far away. Um, and I walked, you know, down the street to the, the protest and the protest was scheduled to start at eight. And I was there at about six, maybe 6.30. And as it just began, you know, I didn't want to be stuck around, you know, large, large crowds. So as it began, I was headed the opposite direction, heading home. Um, so yeah, that was a, a big thing for me. And I'm, I'm to, to do all of that you know this is this has been an amazing amazing experience we've seen so much of you recently you know mostly instagram and facebook and stuff and actually last episode we had warwick schiller on and you two have kind of made an acquaintance through all of this new stuff and we were just kind of wondering what kind of advice he had given you through all of this new found social media yeah, I mean, Warwick reached out to me, and you should have seen the fangirling that was going on. <laughs> I mean, I, I got a message, and it popped up, Warwick Schiller. And I was like, 
Rorik Schiller? And I'm in the car with my husband. I was like, oh, Rorik Schiller just messaged me. Oh, my God. Look, look. I wonder what he's going to say. I mean, I was all of the smiles. I think my face was about to break. And then I, I opened it up, and he kind of started talking back and forth with me a little bit. And I just, I was a kid in a candy store. um honored that that he reached out to me you know um, he's somebody that I always looked up to especially in my my younger years the the videos and stuff that you would see and you know aspiring to be a, a, a horseman myself and um, so for him to reach out for me to me and offer me the bit of advice he did was very important to me you know and the biggest thing that he wanted to stress was to take care of myself through all of this you know and I want to be sure that I, I heed that advice because, I mean, as horse people and especially someone that didn't really come from a lot, you know, I've been hungry to have my horse. Um, you know, I've definitely gone gone without eating to be sure that my, my mare had food. And um, even with all of this, I'm working really hard um, because I want to see a lasting program in my community. And I don't want kids to have to scrape so hard um, to come up behind me, you know, so... I just know that you can't really help anybody else until you can help yourself. So I want to be mindful that I do heed his advice and, and just, you know, remember that, that, oh crap, I haven't eaten today. <laughs> you know, make sure, make sure you do that. I know I've got a couple more horses to work and trying to get the logistics with business set up so we can um, make sure, you know, the program with the kiddos is running smoothly, but remember to eat, make sure that you got more than hours of sleep last night. Um, I, I will definitely, be listening or trying my best to because we know how that goes I have to say that Warwick was also fangirling over you when we told him that we were talking to you so I think it goes so both crazy. ways yeah he was so excited <laughs> when we so told crazy. him that we were gonna have you on an episode he was like oh my gosh no way and we're like yeah we're super excited too you have a really cool story and we love that you're bringing diversity to the equine world, but um, let's talk a little bit about how you actually got involved with horses to begin with. I know in some other interviews I've seen with you, you've said you've been riding your whole life. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my big sister is nine years older than me, and she grew up, you know, in, in the horse industry loving horses as well, you know, so she would work and clean stalls for, you know, to scrape together lessons for herself. And my parents didn't really have money for childcare, so my summers were spent being my sister's responsibility. So that means we'd get up in the morning and, you know, I, I remember walking to the bus stop and taking the bus, you know, all the way up the hill. And we used to have to walk up this hill that I hated. Oh, this hill was awful. Um, and it's straight up and down pretty much. And it's about a three quarter of a mile walk to get to the barn from the bus stop. So we used to do that, you know, multiple times a week. And I would sit and hang around the barn and, um, you know, get little tasks to do myself. And I'd watch my sister ride. And I'd watch her jump and I thought jumping was like the coolest thing ever. So I started riding behind her and grew up um, kind of sort of in pony club. You know, I, I did all the lower ratings, but then, you know, I couldn't ever go any higher because I didn't even have money to sponsor a horse to even get a C1, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I grew up right behind my sister. I'm so glad that uh, I, I spent those summers in barns with her and that kind of gave me my start. Yeah, so you ride English and Western, which is, you know, something to be admired because not a lot of people ride both. And personally, I think that having the background in both types of riding really gives you an advantage. So what kind of, you know, 
thought process goes through your training methods using both of those types of writing? You know, I don't really think of things as an English or Western thing. I think of it as a horsemanship type thing. You know, when people ask me what I do, you know, I never just feel like, oh, I'm a, I'm a hunter jumper or I do this or that. You know, I just say I'm a horsewoman because to me, um, horsemanship is a language that transcends all disciplines. And if you're a horseman and you understand how to have a dialogue with a horse, then it doesn't matter what kind of horse. You can go to every country in the world and sit on a horse and be able to compete and get something done. Um, so for me, um, once I really learned that and how to communicate with horses, it, it doesn't really matter what battle I set on a horse's back. Being someone that doesn't come from an affluent, rich family, or, you know, I've never, it's not so much that I don't want to choose a discipline or that, you know, I want to do both things. It's just kind of more so out of necessity is as a horseman, I can sit on anything. I don't, you know, if that meant that I could get a job loping some horses, you know, in a cutting barn. Cool. I can do that. You know, if that means that now I have a chance to, you know, um, ride 10 jumpers a day. Cool. I can do that. You know, maybe, you know, now I'm sitting on horses and you know I can get these horses broken do obstacles yeah I can do that because I have to be flexible in terms of how I I figure out just how to eat <laughs> you know so horseman has really allowed me a great space um, to do that you know to say that I can be fairly welcome and just walk into a barn and you know try to get some work or something and and just kind of be a horseman across the board and be like hey I may not understand the ins and outs of what you want with raining, but if you show me, I can sit it and I can ride it. So that's kind of how I think about that. Oh yeah. I can, I, I, we totally relate to that. And I think that's, we have a lot of people on this podcast that are very similar in the sense that they, you know, they didn't grow up showing the nicest horses in the world. They grew up riding whatever they could and it's makes them become the horsemen that they are. And I know like how you said, um, you know, you go to a raining barn, you might not know the ins and outs of that, but if you show me, I can, I can try and do it and I can figure out, you know, what I'm doing to get by. And, um, I, I feel you there because I'm trying to learn how to ride cow horses and <laughs> I did the all around for 20 years. And, you know, when you are moving a cow horse, you're using your inside leg to push their, you know, hip this way and that mm. way. And you don't do that with an all arounder and it's, yeah, but you have to, I mean, having that, yeah. And just having that basic understanding of just being able to ride, it helps so much. Yeah. And I feel like that's also almost the skill that sets you apart nowadays, or at least that's what I found is, you know, I might not be the best rider in each discipline. I definitely strive to better myself in any opportunity I can get. But one thing that I've noticed that makes me different when I walk into a barn is the fact that I really can have that conversation on a basic level with the horse. And I feel like that's something that not a lot of people are able to do nowadays, you know, where, I mean, I've learned, I don't think that I would have ever learned to have that conversation in depth with the horse until I started working with some wild and, and feral stuff and stuff that's not never seen a person before. And there's something to be said about walking into the pen with a feral stallion and trying to make something of it. For sure. <laughs> yeah, so going off of those types of horses that you work with, what kind of drew you to working with them? I know, you know, some people prefer to just take in client horses. So why did you go to the feral and wild horses for project horses? Um, out of necessity, you know, um, this, like I said, is I, yeah, I might have all these big dreams and things that I want to do, but at the end of the day, I just have to eat. 
You know, I, I can have this love and this passion and, you know, maybe I can go and get a job at, you know, working at an event barn or in a hunter jumper barn. But like, if I can't afford to eat and I can't afford to just pay my, my gas to get to the store while I'm working at the barn, then like, it's not something that's sustainable as a person that doesn't have, you know, a support system to even support you with, you know, food and that sort of deal to make a, a real life of yourself as a, a rider. I met my mentor and I call her my bar <laughs> and she, her name is Marlene Fultz and she's probably been the most influential horsewoman in my life ever. And she sat down and when I met her, she told me like it was, and she was like, Brie, you make $900 every two weeks. You ain't going to the Olympics, honey. That's stupid. And she didn't mean that it was actually stupid, you know, but she said, honey, you're not going to be working and scraping underneath these trainers and actually go somewhere because you're not like everyone else. She didn't mean in terms of color of my skin, but I don't have money. I don't have backing. I'm a vet tech, you know, like this is the salary that I make and what I'm given. But she said, I'm going to show you a way that you can work quarter, a quarter of a hard as you work now and you can make money. And I said, huh, okay. She was like, you're going to ride, help me ride horses and you're going to be able to quit your job and you're going to be able to make a living in the horse world. And I was like, hmm, okay, crazy old lady, you know, sure, sure I am. And so she had this old quarter horse, probably like 15, 16 years old, not the best looking dude ever, kind of like wonky chin. He had a split tongue. He was like an old cowboy's old rope horse or something like that. He was that horse that was so done with people. You put him in an arena, good luck catching that thing. You're going to be chasing him all over the place. Doesn't want anything to do with you. You get on, he thinks you're supposed to high host over into the like ugly sort of bay roan color bleached out. You know, she looked at me and she said, we're going to sell that horse for 10 grand. I said, oh, I laughed. I laughed so hard here. I said, that horse right there, you're telling me that you're going to sell that horse as a trail horse for $10,000. And she said, yes, you're going to help me. So I just said, mm, okay, okay, crazy lady, you know, you're going to give me, pay me to ride these horses. It's going to help me eat. I got your back. Let's do this. And you know what? We rode that horse all over. And that was a, that horse was a real lesson for me, you know, because she said, we're just going to make him safe. She's like, this is something that people do pay for nowadays, you know, just giving him these experiences. Let's do the parades. We use him for lessons. We get on and make sure he stands at that mounting block and he's safe to walk around town. He's safe to go out on the trail ride by yourself. And, you know, all of these different things that are just really foundational, but that people don't so much always think about anymore. And you know what? We, we spent a summer on that horse, had a great time. We did trail trials. We traveled all over the place with him. And at the end of that, that woman sold that horse for about that much money. In like two days, I was, <laughs> I was surprised. It was not even funny. She said, look, I know you don't want to do trail horses, but here's the deal. Do you see the amount of time that we spent with him? We were really good to the horse. We had a great time doing it. The horse went from a horse that you could not catch to a horse that's in your pocket and follows you everywhere. You felt good about it. The horse gets a phenomenal home. And she's like, You're sp I'm splitting this money with you. Here's $5,000 for your time. I said, oh man, I guess that like me running around as a, a assistant trainer, working student doing this whole sort of deal is probably not what's going to get me closer to my dream. So that, that experience right there is kind of was like, okay, I can feel really good about myself here. I can do the right thing with horses. I'm learning so much about horsemanship and I'm getting my paycheck paid. So 
that's kind of why um, I, I kind of drifted into doing what I'm doing. How do you find the horses that you uh, take in and kind of turn into these really broke, quiet trail horses that can do about anything? Where How are you finding them or are they just coming to you? Recently, a lot of stuff just comes for me because um, I tend to, if you look at and look me up online, I selling horses can get a little hard if you've ever done it. You know, it's a little taxing mentally. So what I do is um, I'd make these really crazy long sale videos. So I basically videotape everything that I do, all these adventures that I go on, you know, when we're out on the ranch riding or we go to different trails, you know, I show every single thing that that a horse does in, a, in about 10 minutes there. So I've really gotten this following of people really liking watching my adventures with these these horses, you know, from the beginning to the end. And so having this huge following, I get calls all the time. Hey, Bree, there's this horse that's in this situation. You know, the owner died and it's broke, never been handled, you know, free to you. Are you interested in taking it? So I get a lot of those phone calls um, now, but generally if I'm looking for something, Craigslist is the best place to go. You know, you find horses all over Northern California where people are just like, yeah, I never got around to this horse. It's just sitting in my backyard. Uh, I think I got a halter on him like five years ago. He's eight, you know, don't know anything else. Um, those are the ads that I kind of go after. And you, sometimes you pull up to people's backyards and you go, Oh God, <laughs> you know, you, you poor horse and, and you, you, you take them home and, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much how I find them. You know, I've, I've gotten some from like herd dispersals where, you know, there's, um, sort of like privately owned, uh, herds of wild horses and are looking to get rid of stuff. So like, those are the, those are the guys that I, go after and also it goes back to you know not having money like that's all I can afford I would love to you know go out and get nice really nice colts that cost a couple thousand dollars to invest into but these horses are horses that I get for free or I might you know here's five hundred dollars or something like that you know and I'm able to put all that time and, and work on them to to make my paycheck at the end of all of it well and I, I think it's really great that you're giving these horses a second chance you know a lot of a lot of horses get pushed to the side because they're not the best, you know, show prospect or, or, you know, they're, they're, you know, they might be a little lucky and, and the person that owns them can't handle a horse that might jump sideways. And, and then, you know, bad things end up happening to these horses. But I love that there are people out there like you who take in these horses that might have a tough background or just got pushed to the side and, and, you know, you're able to turn them into a horse like Dapper Dan, who you can take into a protest and know that you're going to be, safe yeah definitely and dapper is king of all of that because he's about the hardest horse i've ever done through all of this which was not really expected um when i went went out and i i uh, went to see him to see if i wanted to take him home i was like oh man this is gonna be a steal of a deal he's big he's pretty he like walks right up to me in the arena and he's like hey human how are you doing you know I was like, oh, this guy's so sweet. It's going to be great. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong. <laughs> and he, he's a phenomenal horse. I've definitely had sweat and tears and called everyone in my horse arsenal of mentors of what do I do? And I'm not good enough and I can't make anything of this horse. And I just, you know, he's, ah, he's definitely turned into a special horse though, for sure. Very, very happy to have them. Yeah, they say the most difficult horses can turn into the best ones. So kind of, we want to learn more about Dapper Dan and why he's so special to you and what made him so difficult and just his story coming up 
to this point and how you were able to ride him through a protest. Yeah, well, backstory on this guy. I saw him on Craigslist and he was listed for like $500, I think. And I was like, okay, well, it's a three hour long drive, but like, I'm going to hitch up the trailer. He sounds like a, a cool dude. And they had him listed at like 15, two or something like that. So um, when I got there, I was like, yeah, no, that's not 15, two. That's a big old horse right there. Um, and I should have kind of known uh, the, the people that had had him, you know, he was halter broke at that time, you know, but he wasn't started or anything like that. And uh, the, the place I got him from did like rain cow and, and mules. Mule people are like notorious for being amazing with like hard to handle anything, right? So I should have taken note when they were like, oh yeah, well, he tore down half of our barn. Um, <laughs> so when I got him, the, the lady was like, oh, hey, did you notice that he has one ear that's like, it doesn't perk up all the way. It's like floppy down to the side. And apparently they had had a huge vet bill because, you know, he severed that nerve in his head. And, uh, <laughs> and so now he has this, this sort of floppy bill and they're like, yeah, no, you can we're just gonna sell them so and then too when I I saw him I was like oh man she's steal of a horse I want him of course and she was like let me just call my boss um to see if there's any tricks for getting him in the trailer because we we I just don't want him to like tear anything up so I was like I, it's it's fine I was like we'll figure it out trust me we get lots of horses that have never been in the trailer before we're just gonna work it out you know get them in the trailer but I'm like I'm just sitting there staring at this horse I'm like he's 17 hands at this point you know he's uh, I'm like, everything that I'm looking for in a project, big, pretty, substantial bone, big feet, good confirmation, watched him trot out, he looks sound, he's moving nice. I'm just like, load him up and let's go. Whew, well, I got a trailer and I got that guy home. I was so wrong. <laughs> I, it was just the, the first month that I had that horse. I can't tell you how much of my stuff got destroyed. I mean, to the point where it, it wasn't even me just trying to do anything with him. It was just, you know, throwing him out in the paddock and just watching him tear down fence lines and putting him, I put him in a stall at one point and, you know, just to like do something and like walk to my tack room or something. And he tried to tear down my stall. I had a huge vet bill my first week having him where he basically, you know, ended up with almost the same injury on the other side. And I, I spent another, you know, $600 getting him sutured back up at the at the vet. So, um, he was a really sort of hard horse where he said, no, he meant no. Like there was just no open place to have a dialogue with him, which was really interesting because he was so friendly. He's just this nice, sweet guy. And, you know, I keep horses not stable, but out in paddocks where they're just loose, you know, around the ranch. And so he'd always be the force first to like walk up to you and put it on top of your shoulder and be like, Hey, what's going on human? You know, like what we're doing today. But like when that horse said, no, oh, you, you better watch out when that horse says no. He was just a really, really explosive sort of guy and like nothing, nothing seemed to work. You know, I called, called mentors and stuff about him and, you know, um, something that would take me a day I kind of put the start on a colt with, he would just say no and there was no, no talking about it. Everything was just trying to like not have an argument. And um, it was really hard. You know, like I said, I, I cried and I was like, I'm not good enough and I don't know what to do. And and what that horse was with the size he was, he was almost a horse where it's like, this is a guy that you euthanize and you walk away from because he's <laughs> he's damaging so many things and we can't kind of get control of it. And then I just kind of thought about it and I was like, I really do like this horse. He's hard as hell to work with. 
But like, I like his personality and I like who he is underneath all of that. So I just kind of said, well, we're going to be able to sell him. I lost all my money. Just suck it up, you know, and just ride him because at the maybe I was like I'll just keep them for myself because what's the chance I'm never going to be able to afford a horse that's this big this pretty and has this type of bone and this sort of movement you know and he's something that I can ride in both sides you know I can throw my monoflap on him and jump him and everybody thinks he's a big fancy warm blood or I can throw my stock saddle on him and go do some work around the ranch you know and as I just rode him and that's kind of where it clicked for me I just need to spend time with this horse I just need to keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, keep at it. And he just, he started out a 10 percenter where like 10% of the time he was good. The rest of this, everybody watch out, don't walk ride. Um, Cause yeah. And then it was a 20% and then a 50, it's like this 80, 90% horse. And here we are two years later and he's like my go-to guy to pony from, you know, to help me start Colts to, you know, do stuff like this where the, the reason why I, I kind of, wanted to have an own my own personal horse that's bomb proof now I know there's really no bomb proof horse out there but just for lack of better terms to describe I'm going to say bomb proof is so that I could go out and reach people in communities you know like I did an event with my sister who's actually um, San Francisco police officer and we went out and we brought horses into the community and gave kids their first chance at at seeing horses and you know, he has to be really solid to do stuff like that because we're in San Francisco in the housing authority in the worst part of the city. And, you know, you've got buses flying past and cars with loud music and the kids are throwing water balloons and doing all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be done around us. And, you know, Dapper has just, he takes it all in stride. You know, he's, he's really turned into this really, I'd say 95% solid horse that, um, that, that saves my butt. You know, I'm, I'm definitely really in love with this guy. And I'm so glad that so because last year we last November, we lost the lease to our ranch. And I kind of ended up in 30 days dispersing everything that that we we owned. And my husband was like, Brianna, sell the horse. He's super solid. I could get a lot of money for him at this point. You know, I've had offers on him. He's like, we could pay off our debt. and We're going to start fresh somewhere. And I just said, no, no, I just, I have a feeling, you know, I've never gotten to have my own personal horse like this before. Um, you know, I keep this horse. And he was like, Mm-mm, I need the money. And I, I told him no. And I was like, I'm keeping him. I just have a feeling that I'm going to be able to do something on this horse that I, even with the same amount of time, I'm not going to be able to do on something else. And I kept him. And I guess this is, this moment right here is that feeling that I was experiencing. That's wild. And I love that story. And I like, I am a fan of both you and Dapper Dan. Like I loved seeing him walking yeah. down the streets and he was so chill and nothing seemed to phase him. And there's like photos of like little kids coming up to like pet him. And I'm sure it was really exciting for a lot of those younger kids who probably don't get to see horses very often. And it's just, it's really cool to hear, you know, a horse that I've never heard of a horse trying to tear down as much as he has, but, um, you it know, was to go from... to see. <laughs> it was a first for me too to watch a horse use their butt as a battering ram to get out of a stall. <laughs> that is insane. Um, so would you consider him the horse that really made you the rider you are today? Or is there another special horse in, or is there multiple horses that kind of helped, you know, make you who you are as a rider? I think there's multiple horses. Um, and that's why of to do what I do you know I I went from being like I want to jump I want to go to the Olympics I want to do this to like being really 
I, I was really sad at first, you know, that I'm, I, yeah, I was like paying my little rent and everything, but all my friends, you know, they're like, oh, hey, yeah, we're, we're, we're going out our first time intermediate this time. Come on out, Brianna. Or like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. What are you doing this weekend? Oh, I can't. We're going to a trail trials in the hills and I'm going to go ride trail horses, you know? And, and that's kind of, I was really sad at first for a long time. But then as I started to work with these different horses, and it's not like I, I have a lot of horses, you know, I might do like, maybe 10 horses, 12 horses in a year or something like that. But I started to realize how much I was learning and how much I really enjoyed meeting all these different horse personalities. And it goes back to like, we as horse people learn something new from every horse and we learn something new every time we step on a horse. And it's this amazing, really exciting experience, you know? So every horse I've ever sat on has taught me something, but uh, my mare that I rescued, honestly, she was a stereotypical off-the-track thoroughbred, and I'm not trying to link couple all off-the-track thoroughbreds together or say they're bad. I love them. You know, they're one of my favorites, but I'm talking about, like, in a bad conversation, when you talk about the bad of an off-the-track thoroughbred, she was stereotypically that, you know, and she's really hot, and she's this ticking time bomb, and some riding her and trying to put her together is, like, firing off a bullet into a steel container and watching it ricochet that is but in between your legs sometimes but she's you know I went from the horse that was tripped to this mare that has all this incredible scope and she'll put jump anything you put in front of her but you better have some stick <laughs> you better have your heels down and your head up and you better be sitting up because the moves that come with that mare she's you know great now and I actually even use her for little kettle metal um, lessons and stuff but you, you better have some stick and you better ride right because you're going to bat mare off in a heartbeat. So she taught me a lot. Dapper taught me a lot about patience. Dapper taught me a lot about, you know, I mean, he was the main horse. It's like, as soon as you think you know something and you're getting kind of good, you need to be, you need to have a little bit of humbling experience. Dapper was my humbling experience. Aha, uh -huh. you think that you can start a colt and get on its back and teach it how to steer? Oh, let me show you otherwise, my good darling. <laughs> you know, I thought I was like, if I'm qualified to do anything, I think I can put the first ride on and just say, hey, bring your nose here. Body follows nose. Good job. Let's go. Dapper's like, ah, you thought you were good enough to do that? Pshaw Psh, to you, human. You know, um, so <laughs> I've definitely, definitely learned something from every horse in my life. Dapper and my mare, hands down hands down are the most influential horses that have made a difference in my ride though and they're two completely separate things dapper is the calm and woe and easy to go and my mare is hot and you better you know be ready for the ride so I think I've got a mix of the best of both worlds you know and you don't call yourself a professional horse trainer but I think you are on such the right track to do such a thing because you have that experience and you have the mindset of being willing to say okay I have learned something from every horse and I'm still learning and I think that's something to be said and a lot of really really great trainers would say the exact same things oh yeah well thank you I mean I I, I hope I can be on that level someday I mean I, I don't know. I don't think I've ever even had the, the thought that I wanted to be a professional trainer. I just always wanted to do right by the horse and learn as much as I can to be the best rider I can. And, um, you know, that's kind of sort of segued into, I mean, we all have to eat, you know, and of course I want to see horses treated right. So when people ask me questions, 
you know, hey, can you help me with this? Of course I can help you with that. You know, like, let me show you, let's not think about this with our human brains. Let's, let's talk about how horses think and how horses learn. And having a dialogue and conversation. And I think that's one thing that I always felt was it happening when I took lessons or when the times in my life where I have been able to work under someone is like everything happens so quickly and everybody's on such a time schedule that there's no, like there's no ability to just sit down and just watch the horses and talk about how they learn or to see how they function or what's, you know, what's best for that animal and, and, you know, what they're thinking. And I feel like when we kind of take a step back and think about it like that, you know, um, all of us are really, really trainers, you know, all of us really are. And all of us have something to learn and give every single day, right? I think this um, conversation we're having with this podcast is so great considering we just talked with Warwick Schiller, like we mentioned earlier, and he has the same kind of opinion and just like listening to the horse and what's the horse trying to tell you. And I think that's the most important part of owning a horse and being a rider and just, you know, you have to listen to the horse and it's, it's cool to hear it over and over again from all these different people and all these different walks of life, doing different things with horses. And it, it makes me happy for the, the industry to hear so many people saying that. Once again, I'm going to repeat horsemanship is a language that transcends all disciplines. It's, let's just go back to the horse. Everything you're going to say, take it back to the horse. Let's talk about the horse. Yeah, and I think that there needs to be more of that, you know, in the horse industry and in sharing, you know, the knowledge and being willing to, if somebody comes up to you with a question, be able to answer that question openly and, you know, not necessarily have to charge money for mm -hmm. the question. I know that there are some trainers out there who, I mean, the horse industry is hard to make money in. And so any chance you can get to make money, you know, so some trainers charge for every little bit of knowledge that they have, but I think it needs to be a little bit more accessible. So, you know, like you said, you grew up, you know, it was hard to afford the horse industry. So I think it needs to be a little bit more accessible and we need to do a little bit more of those types of things of sharing knowledge and listening to the horse and just being horsemen. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, trainers time far worth the money for, you know, the knowledge and experience that you do have. Um, you know, I definitely think people should be uh, char charged for, for gaining knowledge in situations like that. I definitely don't want to come off like that, like I'm, I'm against that, but I just think that we should have more of a welcoming community, you know, um, be a little bit more open to answer those questions for your clients. Cause that was a big deal for me is I just remember my first trainer as a kid and I'd have all these questions and she'd never want to answer them. You know, and I was just that kind of annoying little kid to say, why, um, why don't I want to make a little small circle with my horse? Or why is it when we do a bending line, we do this? And like, I was not trying to sincerely wanted to learn, you know, so um, I, I want trainers and people to recognize that and, and really give people the information to become better horse, you know, and so maybe this world wouldn't be such a, a closed off sort of place. You know, because so many people feel like they can get in over their heads with horses. And maybe it's because we don't have a, a basic, a lot of people don't have a basic understanding, you know. And I feel like that's something that should be common in the horse world, not just something that's limited to, to trainers. You know, because every time we lead our horse out of the stall, we're training it. And we're having a dialogue. Everything we do, just you walking in your horse's stall is you're, you're having a conversation, you're having a dialogue. So, I mean, it seems like it would help the industry and people as a whole if we just facilitated that, you know, having, helping people understand that, that 
thing we do is a dialogue with them in a training moment. Well, and I think um, kind of going off of that, I know when I was in the horse show world, I stepped away from it back in 2011. But um, anytime that like I saw a horse trainer doing something in the warm up pen and like if I could just ask like, wait, why do you why do you do that? Like what is you know, what are you doing for that? And if they were, you know, some of them were amazing and, and even though I didn't train with them or work under them, like they were like, oh, I do it because of this. And that kind of stuff like just sticks with me forever. And when I see other people, you know, who maybe don't have um, trainers to work with, you know, who aren't fortunate enough to have a horse in training all the time, I am such a huge supporter in horse trainers who like at, allow that kind of questioning when they're at a horse show, obviously when they're not trying to get ready to show and, you know, they're busy with their yeah. customers, but like, it's so great when you can see somebody who's clearly new to the horse show arena and they kind of go up to somebody who's won 60 world championships and just be like, but why do you do that? And then them go, Oh, because of, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it, it's really cool to see that. And I, I hope that we see more of it in, in the horse show world, but just in the horse industry in general. I agree 100%. You know, that just you taking 10 minutes out of your day for someone like me is huge. I'm not a person where at this point in my life, you know, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm doing well enough to, you know, have make my mortgage payment and everything. Um, but I, I don't have money to go out and take lessons. And I, I want to better myself. I want to educate myself. Um, so here I am, I'm at in the place where maybe if I'm lucky afford to take like two or three lessons in a year. I want to make the most of it, you know? So I want um, also not have it be word vomit as well, because I know that a lot of times when you teach consistently, it can be very easy to get kind of on a like, this is how we do it, you know what I mean? And you, you go through your regular spiel and everything like that, but actually really, um, really digging and, and talking to somebody, somebody about the hows and whys and making sure that that's the way that you're teaching because that one lesson that I had every couple of months is going to be, I'm going to be going back to it and feeding off of it and trying to better myself at home for months because of it, you know? Um, so I think that's that's something that's really important, you know, that we, we facilitate here in the, the horse world is, you know, these professionals taking time to really help people improve themselves. So kind of going um, to the current present time, these last couple of weeks has been insane for you. You blew up on social media. I think you've had probably every news station in the United States contacting you. Um, international fame over a couple of photos of you, you know, doing something that, you know, that was a part of history, really. I mean, we were talking about this in you know, that photo that has been circulating social media is going to go down in history during the civil rights movement that's going on. Um, but did you realize what kind of attention you would get by bringing a horse to a protest that had that much, you know, support behind it and just media coverage and all that stuff? Um, no, <laughs> there, there's no way that I could have ever predicted or imagined this. I mean, exactly what I wanted to happen happened, but I just didn't realize it would be so big. You know, I just, I felt so uh, powerless, you know, the night before I was sitting in bed with my, my husband and, you know, watching the, the video again of what happened to George Floyd. And I was just, I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking this is no different from when I was, what, I was like 13 years old, my freshman year in high school. And I, I watched the same thing pretty much happen to Oscar Grant. And I was down there protesting for Oscar Grant and, you know, trying to do all these things to make this change in my community. And, 
then here I am, I'm 25 years old sitting in bed with my husband and I have a baby and it's the same thing happening. I'm like, what the, what is, what's going on? Like, no, this has to change. And I'm like, but I'm just Brianna. I'm powerless. You know, what, who the heck am I? You know, I, even when I was kind of more of an activist in my community and really involved, that didn't make a difference. So good luck to me doing anything now. But then I kind of thought about a phrase that I always, um, I always uh, talk to my husband about, you know, we talk world change you know like is the world ever really gonna change and I always be like you know if it was gonna change we would all stick to what we're really good at do a really good job at it make the biggest difference we can within what it is that we do and then that would feed off of each other and every you know the world would go around so yeah I'm not a doctor or a lawyer or something like that that makes that sort of impact you know I'm not a politician or something but I'm like where I know my life's goal is you know helping inner city youth help getting more um you know, inclusion in the, in the horse world. Like, this is where I'm going to make my difference. So I was like, okay, so my place of power is on this horse. Nobody can ignore a black girl on this big horse. Like there, there's no amount of ignoring. You can ignore the black lives matters movement all you want. But if you see a girl on a horse, that's black walking through the middle of the street with black lives matter signs, I don't care who you are. You're going to look at it. So, um, I kind of had that thought that like, okay, if I go down there instead of you know, focusing on the destruction that may happen, you know, because I'm like, wow, people focus more on that than the fact that somebody died. Um, I was like, let's let's see if I can kind of change the narrative and give them something else to look at. So I definitely thought that I would take the local news. You know, I thought I'd see myself on, you know, Cron 4 and everything like that. And I'd go through local people's Instas. And, and that's really what I thought would happen. Um, and that was what my goal was. I had no idea that I'm now I have people that are calling me from Germany, wanting to do all these different things and talk about and seeing this image go worldwide. It's I, I, I don't even have words. It, it's the I'm still digesting. So I don't even know how I feel about this whole thing yet, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, it had to have been, I, I couldn't imagine going from just being like who I am, where I can live a very private life and, and go out and nobody knows, you know, who I am or what I do and all that stuff. And then just like being blown up to where you have international like recognition. But I'm so happy that we did see that photo because I'm so happy that we can have this conversation and we'll go into a little bit, you know, here in a minute about what you're doing for your community and just to get more people of color involved in the horse industry. And, and I'm really excited about that. But we were so happy that you did that so that we could get to talk to you because it's just, it's so cool to talk with other people who are just passionate about horses and everything in general. And I think it's also important to note that you said earlier that your sister's a police officer. So not to like get into anything too much, but you know, that's, it's, it's great to see that, you know, I think I saw in another interview that you said your sister's, you know, why she's a police officer because she changed too. And I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something where I've been asked the question of like, oh, well, how does it feel to have a sister that's 5-0? You know, how does it, you guys must have some interesting conversations going back and forth being sides of the issue. And I'm like, whoa there, whoa, whoa there, Philly, hold on, easy there. We are not actually on opposite sides of this issue at all. We are on the same side having the exact same conversation as everybody else. The only difference between me and my sister is my place of power is sitting on top of my horse's back. My sister's place of power, she goes to become a police officer and hopefully make a change with her. We're on the same side of this issue. Blatantly simple, easy as that. I love that. Um, so kind of going off that, 
let's talk a little bit about the Humble Project, which is something that you've been really passionate about. Can you tell our listeners exactly what it is? Yes. Um, the Humble Horsemanship Project is something that I have been working on, honestly, for probably the last five years. I mean, I always tell folks, like, I've always had two dreams in my life. And one was to be, you know, um, go to the Olympics and complete, compete in jumping. But we, we know how likely is that ever to happen. My other one that I'm going to not even call a dream, it's a goal because it's to me attainable, is to have a, a longstanding riding program that caters to inner city youth and people of color specifically, um, and just offers them a chance to learn and a chance to level the playing field a little bit. Um, I want to offer horseback riding and horsemanship classes to those people completely free of cost. Um, and I hope, you know, this program to being able to follow these kids up um, through their through their careers and offer you know professional contacts and and support you know so that you know if we do have a kid that comes up through the program and yeah we're starting out with vaulting saucer singles and learning to on a lunge line and and how to put their bodies and hands and airplane out to the side and and follow them to you know one of these kids becoming a show jumper and and knowing that they they were like me they don't have money to have breeches and like they don't have money to have the tall boots and stuff like that and helping to be able to provide that just so they feel comfortable enough to go out and be able to get a job and work. I want to provide basically a bridging of that gap there, you know, provide some support so that if I have a kid that's a hard worker, because you know what, all of them aren't going to deserve that help. The fact of the matter is, is you have to work and you have to work hard. But for those kids that were like me, where I'm willing to go hungry for my horse, I'm willing to work 15 hours a day and I want this that bad. I want to provide that support that's going to give them that foothold to be able to make that professional connection. And when they're ready to go off, you know, I'd like to see this program grow even more and say, hey, can we sponsor this kid, you know, and get them started in the industry here? You know, I'd like to really create something longstanding. Um, and multifaceted in my community here, but we're starting by just offering um, a way to get into it because so many kids have that that image in their head of like, oh, I want a pony. I want to do this, you know, and, and we want to be able to provide a space that they feel comfortable in and where socioeconomic things aren't aren't a, a problem in, in getting into horses. Well, and I think, like you said, with the kids, you have to work hard. And um, I know myself, like I was a barn rat, quote unquote, and I was riding anything and everything I could growing up. But it, it really and, you know, not to brag about it or anything, but it really did create a work ethic. And yeah. I think it helped me succeed in life. And I credit my horse trainer who made me get up at 430 in the morning to get ready for a horse show and, you know, make sure that I cleaned the stalls and fed the horses and watered and, you know, did this and that and all that. And it just it, it really sets you up for success. And I love that you are um, bringing more people into this industry so that they can learn and they can just build and, and just become the person, the best person that they can be with, you know, the help of the horses. Yeah. So for my program, I always say that, um, in humble, we want to inspire the futures by using horses as a medium. The lessons that you learn in the horse world are no different from what these kids need in life. So regardless of if I'm able to bring, if I have a group of 50 kids and only five of them are going to really be ones that want to stick with it and do something, the sort of program like this in the kind of community that I'm in here in the Bay Area and in Oakland, um, this is going to help people on lots of different fronts. You know, we all know that you get sense of 
responsibility, that work ethic, you know, um, there's so many lessons that can be learned from horses. And we all know that horses are nothing but a mirror, right? They don't do anything but put up a mirror to who we are. They don't anything but mirror our energy and you know our movements and and how we feel as herd animals that's just what they do and for kids like this you know where sometimes you know these kids are coming from hard situations and hard backgrounds and stuff like that it can be very hard to reach some of these children because of things they've had happen or what's going on in their lives and it's not always taken too well to come at a kid or a person and be like hey 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 whoa there calm down a little bit you know what I mean like you need to control your emotions you need to have respect and you know what you can't always reach them like that but that horse can you know, throw throw somebody in a pen with a horse that's a little bit more spooky or sketchy in a round pen and say, hey, hun, go up and touch that horse. And that horse takes flight every single time they get within, you know, their their little bubble that they have. They won't let them anywhere near close. Okay, now try this. Wusa, breathe in, calm your energy down, move a little bit slower, you know, calm down. And that horse is able to help me teach that lesson. That's something that, you know, can maybe keep a kid from, going into the criminal justice system, you know, allow them to look deeply within themselves and do it in a non-judgmental way because the horse is the one telling them that, not me. So help them control their temper. I mean, there's so many different life lessons that, that the kids can learn through this. And, and it's a tool that I think that our community needs access to. Yeah. And I think as horse people, I mean, the three of us and any other horse person who listens to this knows this, that horses are such great teachers and such great lesson givers in the fact that, like you said, they mirror you. And if a child is going through something, that horse can easily help them through it a lot better than maybe another person can. So with that being said, has there been a special moment in this project that you've enjoyed the most and that you look back on and it kind of just sparks a memory in your mind or is it just new enough that you don't quite have that yet? You know, I've honestly had so many experiences with kids because um, this, like I said, this is a plan that I've had for a very long time. I've never had the funding and backing before this to really like create a full program around this, you know, but throughout the last couple of years, I try to anytime I have a chance, you know, like I did a summer where I was running some camps and one of the sessions that I did, I was able to bring in about 10 in city youth out to the country and you know we went through a camp you know and got the kids into horses and did that sort of thing and I mean we've had so many amazing experiences like that and there's not exactly one that sticks out to me but all of the kids are different at the end of it you know and that's the biggest thing for me and that's what makes me smile is it, it just it mirrors why I love doing what I do with horses I love taking in something that in the horse industry is worth nothing to someone, absolutely nothing, and turning it into something that's useful, that has a job, that's happy. And so um, even I did an interview the other day where the local news station came out and um, I they brought a kid that I had never met before, this little boy that was like eight years old and they wanted to see, you know, a video me doing a lesson and see kind of what I do out there on the ranch. And, oh, they gave me the hardest kid ever. <laughs> um, so he was, Honestly, he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want to engage, you know, like mom was there and I'd say, hey, let's go grab a horse. And he said, no. Okay, well, so I take a sec down and I, you know, well, what do you like to do? Mm, sit at home. Well, what do you do when you're sitting at home? Be bored. Literally the hardest kid 
you know, to try to connect with there. And I finally was just like, okay, I'm not connecting to him on this basis. And I got a little tough with him. I was like, all right. I'm like, either you need to leave or you're, and you're going to come grab this horse with, because this is what we're here to do. And so he is fine and picks up his feet, you know, goes and gets up and grabs the, the snatches the rope out of my hand. I go, excuse me, that is not how we do things. You will politely take this from me. And he's dragging his feet and pull your shoulders back and walk like a man. You don't get to drag your feet, you know? Um, so he started out like that. And that was kind of the, the back and forth that we had. And then I was able to work with him with Dapper a little bit. And he got on that horse and that really hard facade, that kid that's, you know, trying to be all gruff and, and manly and everything like that, turned into this smile. And so you could see that he was trying to hold it in. He was trying so hard to keep his face straight and like he was not enjoying what was going on. And then that smile slowly starts to creep on his face. And you know that experience of that smile that you cannot even hold in. <laughs> and then pretty soon he's got all his teeth showing and I'm high-fiving and I'm like yeah good job and like that right there that experience you know of of seeing this kid that was so closed off and so just against everything and interaction and and then he's like well what are we doing next and why do you do this and I like to do this and can I do that you know and to see him like really come alive and see who this child was you know he didn't want me to know any part of him before and now he's sharing with me the school his friends and he has this friend that's going to do that and the horse did that in a span of an hour that's pretty amazing you know I'm sure that you could go to some therapist, you know, that isn't able to make that much lead way with a kid with like 10 sessions. And it's not what I'm doing. The horse did that. That is amazing. And so I have those experiences over and over and over again with this, you know, it's not one isolated experience. And that's why I like doing what I like to do. You know, they say, if you do what you love, you, you never really work a day in your life, which really isn't true because all of this is a maddening amount of work, but I still have a smile on my face and with three hours of sleep and, and, and huge bags under my eyes. So I'll just go with that. <laughs> that story gives me chills. I, I, it just makes me, I've seen it firsthand with like kids who, you know, they might've been at risk or, or whatever, and they get, they just get near a horse and their whole pers personality changes. And they're like, you know, you can see this calmness come over and they feel relaxed and they feel, you know, secure and safe with this, um, you know, 1200 pound animal, which, you know, that's pretty crazy because a lot of people are afraid of them because they're so big, but it's just like, it's amazing how you can kind of break down that hard exterior that they've, they've had to have because that's how they survive. And it's humble. They're humbling. They're humbling creatures. We're it's taking amazing. kids from humble being, um, from, we're taking kids from humble means and ha having a humbling experience with the horse. It's what this it's, is all about. It's awesome. So how, how can people get involved with the Humble Project? Where can they reach you? Where, they can, where can they find you to learn more about you and what you're doing? You can go online to www.mulattomeadows.com slash humble and find out all the different things that we're doing. We're going to be having lots of different um, projects and fundraisers coming up. We do have a GoFundMe that's there as well. Um, but, you know, if you're a professional in the industry or just wanting to volunteer some tack or time, anything that you have is, is going to help at this point. You know, um, at this point in our program, we're really getting kids on and I'm a big person for developing a seat and everything like that. So the way I teach is I'm using vaulting surcingles and, you know, nice thick pads ads for the horses so the kids learning that way but I do expect and want this program to grow into more discipline 
specific, you know, areas of riding. So we will need, you know, actual pack and stuff going forward in the future. And for professionals, I'd love for professionals to reach out to me the same way, you know, if post a clinic or something like that at your barn with proceeds going to these kids, you know, I figure that's a, a really great way for people to start and also lots of community, you know, like we're all going to have dialogue. We're all going to talk friends and all of this stuff. And that's kind of the kind of thing that I want to see happen. So program grows and the kids grow with it you know I can say hey Warwick I've got this awesome kid that's working their butt off you know and he's trying man he's he's just he's been working for years you know and he's finally to a place he's got this down this down and do you have any working student positions in your barn even ground floor like someone to clean like this kid I've got he'll clean all your tack he'll do this I want to continue to foster relationships like that with professionals in the industry so I can make those phone calls and provide opportunities for these kids and maybe get them you know a lot of kids I've met here they've never even been out the Bay Area you know so I want to see this as something big you know where these trainers see what we're doing and can kid you know maybe they're going to get to go to the UK and get a really cool working student opportunity that we know those are out there and that kids from different backgrounds do have opportunities to do stuff like that um so the whole horse community is really going to help it's not just something that's on me this is um you know definitely all the people that can get on board we can make this as little or as big or as little a change or as big a change as, as as the horse community wants to make this at this point no, I think that's great. And I know that I get a lot of people that either just on Facebook or, or even through, you know, my connections with horse and rider that are always asking like, Hey, do you know somebody that wants to, you know, clean stalls at this horse show or do whatever. And now I know exactly who I'm going to send them to, because I'm sure that you have a whole list of people that would be fantastic for those kinds of up and coming jobs. Oh yes, definitely coming forward in the future here. I'm I would love people to reach out to me um, for things like that because I want to provide those opportunities, you know, and I know that kid doesn't have the, you know, maybe doesn't have enough money for the plane ticket to get there, you know, and be able to take it in that opportunity. And I want to help provide that. I want to know you don't have the to look presentable here. Hey, we've got, you know, this donated tack. Let me let me get you a couple of shirts and a couple pairs of breeches and here's a pair of boots so you can go out and work for what you want. I want to be that person. I love that. Um, we'll be sure to share more information about what you're doing on our website so that people who want to get involved or, or just want to learn more about what you're doing can easily access that. So we'll be sure to include that. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We were so excited when we could get in touch with you because you have inspired us so much. And we are so happy that we are having the conversation about diversity and, and getting more people of color and different races involved in the horse industry, because it's so important. And we're so happy that you had time to talk to us. Oh, well, thank you guys. I mean, this is something that is so important to me. And it's like, I, I'm almost in tears now that it's like, it's important to other people too. <laughs> it's so cool and great. So thank you guys for facilitating this conversation. Um, Thank you for all of your awesome questions and your help with all of this. And I'm really excited to see um, all the good that comes from it because I feel some good coming. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media and find us at horseandrider.com. If you guys have any questions or comments, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at aimmedia.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. How many stars, Michaela? Five stars, please.